Welcome to Industry Focus, the podcast that dives into a different sector of the stock market every day. Today is Thursday, June 27th, and we're talking about the merger talks between United Technologies and Raytheon. I'm your host, Nick Seipel, and today I'm joined by Motley Fool contributor Lou Whiteman via Skype. How you doing, Lou? I'm good. How are you? I'm doing great. You know, it's it's the middle of summer. Fourth of July is next week. Very excited uh, uh, to be here with you. I think you're about getting ready to go on a trip here uh, here pretty soon. Uh, summer in full swing. What's what's going on with you with you, Luke? Yeah, we're gonna test out. We're taking a 12 year old Ireland to see how that goes. See if she can enjoy Ireland as much as her parents will. But uh, I'll, I'll let you know. <laughs> Yeah, I've spent some time over there as well. I didn't realize before I went to Ireland how many sheep there are in that country. It's just sheep, as far as I can see, just green rolling hills and sheep. I really hope you enjoy the trip. Um, well, today we're here to talk about, as I said, United Technologies and Raytheon. On June 9th, they announced a merger of equals that will create a combined company, I believe, at $121 billion. Uh, you know, when you look at this deal just first off the top, what was your reaction when you saw the news come down? It's a heck of a deal for a few reasons. For one, I mean, just in the context of the defense side, Raytheon is more of a defense company and United Technologies, we're talking about only their aerospace assets. I'm sure we'll get into that, but they're in in the process of splitting three ways. Uh, But United Technologies is primarily a commercial aerospace company. Uh, On the defense side, since the 1990s, we haven't seen any tier one prime consolidation. Uh, This doesn't really count because it's not like Raytheon and Lockheed Martin are coming together, but uh, there's been an open question for going on 20 years, what can the so-called big five or the big prime contractors, you know, are they boxed in? What can they do? And this is a pretty creative answer to that. So, uh, wow, but also very interesting. Yeah, you take a look. I mean, United Technologies is going to get about 57% of the combined company, but they're going to split the board about 50-50. United Technologies CEO uh, becomes CEO of the combined company. Uh, but Raytheon CEO is going to be the chairman, but it, it looks like he's going to be heading out in a couple of years. When you see how these companies are, are coming together from the combination point of view, any reaction to how things are getting split off and the leadership uh, transition between the two companies? I really like Tom Kennedy, uh, Raytheon CEO. I'm not surprised that he's willing to step aside here. I I think, you know, he was probably thinking succession plan anyway. Uh, Greg Hayes is relatively new on the job, but uh, he's done a good job. He's done... He's he's been more decisive than some of his predecessors have been, including I mean most case in point this. But uh, he's he's an aggressive guy. I I I think he's up for the challenge. But um, boy, he's he's loading up his plate. Yeah, and and he has gotten uh, a little bit of criticism uh, leading up to this merger. Uh, when you look at you know like I said, it's it's a merger of equals between these two businesses, and there was one. I guess famous investor Bill Ackman came out and has criticized this deal as maybe not fully realizing the value uh, that is inherent in United Technologies. He has said that there is a, a conglomerate discount on the shares, and then by by merging with Raytheon, they're they're basically exchanging undervalued shares and giving Raytheon the, the benefit of that conglomerate discount. When you look at some of those criticisms of this merger from a valuation point of view for United Technologies, you know, do you think Ackman has a point here, or do you think he's a little misguided uh, with those criticisms? Well, let's take a step back because, uh, yeah, Ackman's been involved in the United Technologies side for a while, including pushing for a three-way split, uh, maybe even more than a three-way split. But uh, that 
it it never really gained traction because of the M and A that United Technologies was doing. They uh, they just finished a, the Rockwell Collins deal, which substantially grew the uh, aerospace side. But they they needed to get that deal closed and at least bring start to bring it in house before they considered this. Uh, Ackman was very big on splitting up the three parts. That is happening. Uh, now he's where he's always been the m- more interested in the aerospace side than the other two parts. And I, yes, as you say, his basic feeling now is, is that why are you, why with the aerospace side still suffering from the conglomerate discount, why are you pledging its shares now uh, when it, it, in his mind, it's going to be much more powerful on its own? Uh, I don't necessarily buy his, buy his argument. For one, I, I think he's missing the fact that uh, Raytheon isn't really getting a premium here either. This deal is not designed to give either side a premium. The, the idea of the deal is, is that the some of the parts will will make them stronger. Raytheon is valued at something like 11 times EBITDA in the deal. If it, you know, it's, it's a little wishy-washy because it's stock, but that's about where they are now. And uh, there's a lot of benefits that Raytheon is bringing as well. Uh, Raytheon brings defense exposure, which is a different customer set, but it's um, United Technologies for all of its scale, they are still subject to Boeing and Airbus and they are still have to bow under pressure to Boeing and Airbus. Raytheon has a whole different customer in the US government. That, that revenue diversity will help the company. Uh, and also probably most important in what Ackman seems to be conveniently missing out on is or, or skipping over is uh, United Technologies, it's hard to say because the split's going on, but it looks like they are going to give the aerospace unit about $24 billion in debt. Raytheon, by comparison, has less than $3 billion in debt. Uh, combining these two companies, you're going to have a much more pristine backlog. I'm sorry, much more pristine balance sheet. You are going to have the flexibility to return capital to shareholders. You're going to have the flexibility to invest in R&D. You're going to be able to do a lot more with this balance sheet by bringing the Raytheon side in. And that's that's really, really to United Technologies benefit because they were going to have not liquidity issues, but they were going to have a substantial debt burden on their own as the split goes out. Right. I mean, just having those stable revenues from the defense side of the business, not being subject to, I guess, as much cyclicality as you'll see in the commercial airline space is, is a clear benefit, I think, for United Technology. I think one program you know, I've seen called out a few different places is the Pratt & Whitney gear turbofan engine and what that can mean uh, for United Technologies moving forward. However, it's it's cost you know $10 billion or more to develop over time. Uh, so, th- there's clear opportunities for that part of the business to grow. However, it takes a lot of upfront investment uh, for that to grow. When you look at this deal in the context of, of what it will do for that gear, gear turbofan next generation uh, Pratt and Whitney engine, what opportunities it might have uh, for United Technologies to more comfortably reinvest in that part of the business? What new opportunities does Raytheon merger create there? Well, for one thing, just just to give you an idea of the size and the scale we're talking about, I saw a number sixty thousand engineers are coming together here, and there isn't a lot of overlap in the business. United Technologies doesn't make missiles, which uh, Raytheon you probably best known for the Patriot system, the the anti-missile system. They do a lot of that work. And, you know, so, so there isn't a lot of direct overlap. But, uh, for example, Pratt & Whitney is is in a 
difficult development cycle right now. Uh, Raytheon does do work with engines of their own, missile engines. Uh, hypersonics is one area where I think they can work together. There are more areas for potential collaboration than there are areas where there's going to be overlap and cut or, or combine. But the collaboration is important. You're, you're bringing together a lot of people from related fields. And oh, by the way, Raytheon does have a $40 billion backlog that projects well out into the next decade as far as planning for leverage, planning for revenue, planning on, on keeping the balance sheet healthy. And that's something that is maybe not unique to the defense industry, but you know, with, with the government as the customer and the government making by law spending plans five, 10 years out, there is a lot of predictability there that you can use when you're making investment decisions, which I think is very much underappreciated on the commercial side, but I think it will be to United Technologies benefit. Yeah, when, when you have that flexibility to think long term because you have more diversified revenues, I think it's always a good thing for a business, particularly one that can maybe suffer from some cyclicality as you go through the upgrade cycle and in, in commercial airlines, things like that. Um, last thing on, on this merger for you, kind of final thoughts on this merger before we move on. What, what should investors be watching as this continues to play out and uh, you know finalizes it if that if that's you know what ends up occurring? Well, the downside, and I think this is sort of what is driving Ackman's frustration is, is that the Rockwell Collins deal took a lot longer to close than anticipated, uh, mostly because of Chinese regulators, not US regulators. But the point being, this was dead money, United Technologies, for a while because people were anticipating getting this deal closed, maybe we'd see a split, what will we see? Uh, the split already sort of put the company in limbo, but now the extra complexity of a major deal even if this is a good deal, it's hard to imagine this stock really running for another year, year and a half, maybe at worst case scenario. You shouldn't have an antitrust issue here because the businesses don't overlap much. Uh, however, we have seen the president chime in talking about you know fears about defense consolidation in general. We're sure to see Boeing chime in a little because Boeing doesn't like its suppliers to have too much heft or too much muscle. And certainly this company will be tougher to push around. Uh, also, the wild card from uh, Rockwell Collins was China. Given the current situation, I mean, just look at S FedEx, uh, what it's like dealing with China. I don't think it's a given that this deal will be rubber stamped anywhere. I mean, why? potentially wouldn't China, if this continues, uh, the current tensions, why wouldn't they step in and just gum up the work? So there's, on the surface, it looks like a done deal, and it looks like a pretty good deal, but there are a lot of things that are very much outside the company's control that investors at least need to watch and be, be mindful of as this plays out. It's likely to be a long process that plays out potentially with some twists that, that are hard to, hard to predict right now. Yeah, so, something we're going to continue to follow. Uh, another thing with United Technologies that has continued to play out, and you have alluded to this, is, is spinning off uh, both its its Otis elevator division as well as the carrier HVAC air conditioning division of the business. This was announced uh, back, I believe, in November that they were going to to spin these businesses off. Uh, now the current timeline we have for when that that will officially be done is looking about uh, the first half of 2020. Um, when you look at these spinoffs, and we talked a while back about Dow DuPont splitting into three companies, is this a similar profile to what we saw with Dow DuPont, where you were creating different businesses with different profiles that maybe might fit different investor bases uh, from from you know how these businesses are being split off? 
Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Yeah, and it's important to say, too, that the uh, Raytheon deal will not close until after the split is complete. So, yeah, this uh, very much this is, this is important to the United Technology story right now. It, it, they are different businesses. I, I think for the most part, United Technologies, the, the aerospace business stands out from the other two. Uh, but Otis and Carrier certainly aren't the same. Otis is the name in elevators, 2 million elevators installed, great reoccurring revenue with this, on the services side. They have to maintain all those elevators. Growth has been an issue. Uh, more recently, that growth has come from China. In the last few years, we've seen Otis's margins fall, in part because of competition in China. That looks like an income play, a, a, a solid services revenue that, that isn't going to disappear, but you got to question where the growth will be. Uh, Carrier is sort of the, a hybrid between the two. Again, you have a huge installed base. I think it's 100 million air conditioners installed in the U.S., uh, they're a $20 billion company. Their margins are a little better notice. Um, there's growth potential there, but again, they're, it, it, it's largely a services business. Also for Carrier, there has been, I, I, I don't think they are the top name in the industry in terms of, of reliability and service. They kind of have taken their hits for quality, so they have some work to do with that. Um Otis, it's hard to imagine Otis involved with M&A because Otis is, uh, they're too big to be bought and they're too big probably to buy anyone of note. Uh, Carrier is in a business that has been consolidating. They'd be a big acquisition for someone. I don't know if that's reasonable, but you can see them involved in deal making more than Otis. So, you know, both of them probably lean towards income carrier with a little more growth potential, but probably a little more risk because, as I say, it's a competitive market. And in recent years, I don't think they've been the best regarded brand in the industry. Yeah, you look at Otis, the elevator business, there's a little bit of appeal there from from the servicing side. You get some steady revenue. As you mentioned, it can be an income play because you have regulations that require you to get these things serviced and licensed over time. So, create some steady income. However, you know, we're not throwing up multi-story buildings at the same rate that you know the growth that we're seeing in aerospace. So, probably going to be a slow grower, but an income opportunity there. Um, when you look at, do you think this is going to be value creating for shareholders as we as we spin these off? That like like Ackman has said that the sum of the parts is worth more than we're being valued at today. Would you consider buying shares today to to realize the valuation kind of expansion as these companies spin off, or are you really only interested in the aerospace part of the business right now? Well, I do think there is a conglomerate discount. I mean, I, I'm old enough to have seen this go back and forth and back and forth, and it tends to be after extended up cycles that we see the talk of conglomerate discounts and to talk to break up. Uh, if we had five, ten years of um, of weakness or another big recession, that's when you start seeing businesses talk about the value of coming together and having disparate revenue streams or tied to different cycles. But uh, yes, United Technologies, if you look at the sum of the parts, it has been undervalued. Uh, part of that, I think, is to conglomerate. Part of that is they've been such an active deal maker and been so many moving parts inside the company that it's just hard to get your arms around. I do like the long-term prospect of breaking these companies up. I I, I like aerospace best, probably, but I, I do think there's value to be created because of how long this is going to take, because of the uncertainty, I I wouldn't rush in and buy here. You probably can make a case that you do all right, but I just I 
I, I, I'd be more interested in looking once it's done. But if I'm holding right here, I'm certainly not selling and I'm probably going to do fine. Certainly. Last kind of question, as we see more of these companies kind of breaking up and, you know, the deconglomerization trend, as you said, that that's something we tend to see towards the end of the cycle. Is that something that you're concerned about as we see this wave of companies getting split up? Uh, or, or is it just, you know, something you see from time to time? I think that goes back to kind of the core full philosophy is that, you know, you find good companies and you sit I mean, you stick with them. There are good companies being created here. There may be some less good companies that come out of some of these splits or, or companies that appeal to other pe- people. But uh, for me, you know, both in Dow DuPont, you see, uh, for me, it would be DuPont and say, hey, you know what, this looks like an attractive company. I think Raytheon United Technologies, once that comes together, that is a company I... To, to be honest, Raytheon to me was not a company in the defense base. Nothing, I have nothing against it, but it wasn't top of my list to buy. I would be more inclined, I think, to buy this combination because of what it offers than I would have been to buy Raytheon on its own or even United Technologies as a conglomerate on its own. So I think regardless of where we are in the cycle, you look at the businesses, if there's a quality business being created, I think... Uh, I think Motley Fool has proven over a long time that, that that will work out just fine for you. And I think that's the case here. Absolutely, absolutely, Lou. Always great great advice for our listeners. And we'll uh, always love having you on to, to discuss uh, these businesses and look at, looking forward to having you on again soon. I'm sure there will be more to see. Obviously, it's going to be another full year before we see all these companies spun out. So maybe we'll get more revelations uh, in, the, in the coming days. Thanks for coming on. Thank you. Always a pleasure. As always, people on the program may own companies discussed on the show, and The Motley Fool may have formal recommendations for or against the stocks discussed. So don't buy or sell anything based solely on what you hear. Thanks to Austin Morgan for his work behind the glass. For Lou Whiteman, I'm Nick Seipel. Thanks for listening, and Fool on! Fool on!